Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 514. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to the Positive Productivity Podcast. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you with us today. And I'm thrilled to introduce you to our guest, Rev C. Ancio. I got that right? You got that right. Oh my gosh. I told you I was going to mess it up, and I'm so proud of myself for not. Rev is the director of Industry Insights. Rev put on his calendar submission for me that he likes burgers. So that got me distracted even before we hopped onto the call because I was immediately hungry. So I'm just going to say director of industry insights at Yext. But welcome, Rev. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I don't don't know if you reveal the dates that uh, the shows were recorded before they go live, but today is National Caramel Custard Day, National Kale Day, and International Mean Girls Day. It is. Yes. Caramel Custard? Yes. I didn't even know there was such a thing, but that is so not fair. I'm going to have to make a rule for myself. Do not get onto a podcast if I have not yet eaten, because seriously, my stomach is over here rumbling now. Hopefully my husband heard me. Listeners have already heard that I can burn dinner on any given night of the week. So my husband does the cooking. I might have to speak a little bit louder and say, I'm hungry. Give me some food. But I guess it's not really polite. Oh, And I'm sorry to just interrupt our conversation with this, but I tried to take a bite of lunch yesterday in the middle of a podcast. Listeners, you know, it's not about perfection around here. And then the guest stopped talking and asked me, well, she asked me a question and stopped talking. And here I was eating my lunch. And I was was like, okay, that was not a good idea, Kim. I should not have taken a, a bite. But Rev, I want to invite you, please, to share your journey with the listeners and tell us how you got to where you are today. Uh, thank you again for having me. My story is a little unique and long, so I'm going to shorten it as quickly as I possibly can. You mean you're not going to tell us that you came out as a 10-pound baby and how you... <laughs> you... <laughs> you know, I don't remember my birth weight. I also don't remember my blood type. Every time I get asked, I have to text my mom, Mom, what's my blood type? Oh, She's me like, too. <laughs> so no, I don't remember my birth weight. <laughs> <laughs> I have to wait until I donate blood to remember what my what my blood type is. But every time I donate blood, they come after me because I know I'm an O, but I can't remember if I'm O positive or O negative, but they're always after me. Oh, God bless. I, I think I might be AB. I don't know. It's in a, I put it in an Evernote somewhere. So <laughs> That's a smart idea. <laughs> uh, my story, though, I graduated college and I very much wanted to be in the music business. Uh, and I moved from Detroit to New York City to work for an agency that was... Uh, promoting records to get played on the radio. And about a year and a half into that job, the owner of the company stood up one day and said, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm closing the company. And me and four of the other people I worked with there were bringing in like 90% of the business. So we said, why don't we just go start our own version of this? And like, no joke, three months later, had our own company. Um, and that was my first agency. And the, the story here is I'm a serial agency owner. So since then, I've owned three agencies. Uh, I've also owned a, uh, a bar restaurant in New York City. Uh, I've been the director of marketing for a ground beef manufacturer. I've done credit card advertising sales. I've done a whole bunch of stuff. But first part of my career was in the entertainment business where I learned a lot about marketing and a lot about digital marketing because the music business was kind of uh, the first business to really uh, adopt 
adapt and, and take on social media like MySpace and Facebook. And then about the time that like streaming really became a problem for the music business, I switched to hospitality because I've always been obsessed with food and I've always been obsessed with restaurants. But in a very uh, short version of the ending of that story is uh, I now work for Yext, which is a software based solution that, you know, small mom and pops up to very large chains can use to manage the, all the public facts about their business everywhere they live online. So like their name, their address, their phone number, their hours of operation, whatever. Uh, and they can update that everywhere that lives online, like Google, Yelp. Being Yahoo Foursquare, their own website. Uh, and specifically, I oversee marketing for our hospitality and food customers. Awesome. I mean, this is, they could very well be a food customer, but I have to share that I was just introduced in the last couple months to Grubhub. Oh, yeah. And I live in a small town outside of Dayton, Ohio. And probably once a week lately, I keep on going to Grubhub.com and submitting my location and submitting a few more restaurants because I'm like, okay, you guys, you need to hurry up and get on this because I really like Chipotle. I want Chipotle and I don't have time to go out and get it. So can you please deliver me Chipotle? I mean, that would be so absolutely awesome. Or the local Mexican restaurant. This is not a plug for the local uh, Mexican restaurant, but they, they have their main restaurant and then they created La Fiesta Express. So it has a drive-thru. That's fabulous. But what about for the people who can't get out and go pick it up during the day because they're doing podcasts from nine to five? Yeah, you know, seriously, right? Yeah. Maybe I should promote them, you know, give them some <laughs> local hype. I don't even know how many local listeners I have. That's sad. But come on, La Fiesta. Give me delivery. You could make a, I was going to say buttload, but that's not usually how I talk on here. But they could make a, a lot of money. Yeah, I think the difference between where you live and where I live is Chipotle does deliver here. Mm. And we don't just have Grubhub. We have Grubhub, Delivery.com, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Postmates, Instacart. There's oh one more. <laughs> I have like 10 options that I can use to get food to me from somebody else. Well, we can finally do online ordering at our grocery store. And that was oh, huge that, for me. That's but, awesome. And I think they're just about to start doing delivery too. One of the other grocery stores does, but... Hey, we don't get gas points from them, so we don't use them. But yeah, I love, I just want my husband to start using the online ordering because then he won't blow an extra 50 bucks every time he goes into the store. <laughs> yes. We actually have a grocery store here in the New York City area that only exists online. There is no physical location. That is so smart. What do you think? <laughs> I'm, I'm, my family uses it all the time. It's called Fresh Direct. I mean, just the logistics, I mean, not having to have the overhead of the physical location, but you can go into a, hopefully a clean warehouse. I mean, I'm sure because it probably, I wouldn't know. I've never been in the food industry, but I would have to think that it's been approved like FDA for food storage or something. Listeners, if you're educated in this area, you can <laughs> definitely go to the show notes and educate me. And by the way, that's at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP514. And just fill me in on what the logistics would look like there. But I'm so intrigued. I want to go back to the music industry. It's so fascinating because I graduated college in 2001. I, yes, I'm dating myself here. But I remember being at work and going on Napster and downloading music. Oh, yeah. Which, which I wouldn't do today. I don't even know if they're still around. I haven't tried to look because I don't want, you know the almighty internet gods getting back to me and realizing that I downloaded millions of dollars of free music. But are they still around? And, and how, I know you're not in the music industry anymore, but did that seriously 
proved to be like permanently harmful to the music industry or have has it been fixed no it's funny so when i joined the music business in 1996 people were still replacing their cassettes with cds so there was a lot of money to be made because people were upgrading formats so they were replacing their vinyl with cd and so there was a lot of money and when napster came out i will never forget it i remember like the next day walking into my business partners who i own the agency with and saying we better zigzag real quick. And they were like, why? I was like, the world is about to find out that music is free. And they were like, whatever, Chicken Little, the sky's not falling in. I'm like, I'm telling you, this is going to change everything. This is the disruption we didn't see coming. And we en- ended up not seeing eye to eye over the difference there. But yeah, it was it made a huge difference. I mean, you know, when I was a, a teenager, and probably you as well, like, a band coming to play your town or seeing them in a magazine or like maybe catching the video on MTV was like the rare moment you got to interact with their content, right? Oh, yeah. There was no website. There was no streaming. There was no playlist. There was no YouTube. There was no cell phone. You know, you we didn't even have iPods yet, you know? Yep. Like it was your music collection and the radio and then if they came in a magazine. So like your interaction with them was limited and special. And now, like, there is no boundary between your desire to, you know, be a part of a band, whether it's, you know, watch their videos, hear their music, subscribe to their email blast. It's just very different. And I'm saying that this is worse than that, right? It's just a very different time. And the effect that that had on the music business at the time is all the industry giants, the Universals and the Warners and the Sonys, didn't quite know how to react to it because their revenue stream was based on a physical product. And here was this disruption from a digital product that they had no plan or idea for. Um, And it happened so quick. And instead of trying to adapt quickly, what they did was they tried to protect their assets. So rather than figuring out the streaming revenue, you know, all these CD protections and, you know, illegal downloads and blah, blah, blah. And they went the route of trying to protect rather than adapt. And that had a massive negative curve on the ability of artists to make money compared to how they used to. Oh, I can see that totally. I I remember, I think 1995, my mom asked my sister and I what we wanted for Christmas. And we had a budget. And I wanted a DVD player, or not (laughs) a DVD player, a CD player. Because up until then, I had been on tapes. And I remember yep. it cost like $100 back then. Today, we have an Amazon, um, what is that little, an Echo? Is that what it's called? Yes. I actually unplugged it. Because my littles, the three-year-old twins and the five-year-old, kept on going up and saying, Alexa, play Let It Go from Frozen. Over <laughs> and over and over. And it was right behind my desk. And one day, no joke, I said, oh my gosh. And Alexa said, I know, right? I'm not even joking, Rev. (laughs) Because it was like the 18th time. Listeners, I am not making it up. I couldn't believe it, though, when she said, I know, right? (laughs) We do do two things with Alexa in my house. One is put on Beastie Boys Intergalactic on repeat because that's the one song uh, my two-and-a-half-year-old knows to ask for. uh, (laughs) And then ask her for recommendations on where to eat. So, Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So I want to pop into what you're doing today. I mean, you are helping food and hospitality. Where do you see them making some of their biggest mistakes and how are you helping them? And I know you're helping them keep their all their facts straight internet wide, but how do you could, and I know you also have a background in digital marketing. 
So can you put two and two together and just share? Sure. So I think I always hate to start with the biggest mistake restaurant owners make because it's it, I don't like such wide, wide vertical Generalizations, statements. Generalizations, yeah. Yeah, or horizontal statements. But to be honest, I think in, this would apply to literally all small businesses is most small business owners, in particular restaurants, they don't open a restaurant because they're good at marketing or they're good at sales or they're good at managing a spreadsheet or inventory, right? They're good at like some other trade. You know, they're an electrician, they're a pizza maker, they're a seamstress. They're, they have like some sort of skill and a passion for that skill and it becomes a calling. I want to be a pizza maker, you know, I want to design clothing, whatever. And that's usually the dream of the small business owner. Well, what happens is, you know, you kind of have to become a jack of all trades in the small business. You got to worry about finances and you got to manage your employees and you got to do inventory and yada, yada, yada. And who's keeping the lights on and all these other things happen. And what I think most small business owners sort of just forget about or decide not to prioritize is local marketing, right? They think that, well, if my product is good, right, and I provide good customer service to the customers I get, and, you know, maybe in the modern age I update Facebook, like, they're going to come. And the truth is, like, that's not even the case, and it's not ever going to help them. Oh, that's so true. We, in my town, we just lost one of the restaurants that had been around for like 70 years. It was our Italian restaurant. I hate hearing that story, but it does happen. Yeah, but it was lack of proper management, lack of marketing, and they had had, pardon the lawnmower in the background, my neighbors don't understand I'm podcasting. <laughs> it was the last of a family chain of restaurants that had been around for generations, but they just couldn't keep up. And all of a sudden, poof, it's gone. Yeah, the only constant in business has definitely changed. Yep. And then I think if it's 2018 and specifically you own a restaurant and you're not managing your digital presence online, you're going to be beat by your competitor who is. 68% of people say that when they're searching for something to eat, they don't search by brand name, right? So two out of three people search for what they're craving. I want pizza, I want salad, I want Mexican or whatever. And if your business information doesn't come up as one of the top one, if you know, if you're asking Alexa, you get one answer, but if you ask Google, you get three. If you're not one of those answers, like you're gonna get left in the dust. And there's- Oh my gosh. Well, you have a two and a half year old. So, I mean, sorry, this is making an assumption. Is he yours biologically or adopted? <laughs> no, we have co-birthed. <laughs> okay, so, and I, I have five kids. To be totally transparent, I had a whole bunch of miscarriages in there, so I've been pregnant a lot more than just five times. But that would be amazing for the pregnant woman's husband or spouse or significant other when the woman wakes up in the middle of the night and wants to know where the Thai restaurant is that's still open. Okay, just (laughs) save time. Luckily for my husband, I just wanted Fruit Loops and Reese's Pieces so we could go to the local grocery and get those in the middle of the night. My wife wanted chicken parm. <laughs> wow. Okay, but still, I mean, you could, I mean, I can't say it would taste good, but you could still get it out of the freezer section. But yeah, I mean, around here, you are not helping, seriously, my hunger right now, because now I'm talking about Thai food. And I'm like, I don't even know where I could get Thai food in the whole Dayton area. Yeah, I have Much this less effect. my town. I have this effect on people and I generally don't apologize for it. So No, that's okay. <laughs> Can you come to Dayton though and help people out? I mean, seriously, if you don't already have a connection at Grubhub, tell them that they need to come here. I will personally <laughs> promote them because I need food. 
Well, I mean, to that point, right? So, like, if you were to ask, you know, Siri, like, hey, Siri, best burger at Dayton, right? She's going to give you an answer. If you're the business owner and you're not that answer, what are you doing? Right. What did you not do? And so to, to answer the question you originally asked me is, like, what's the one mistake? It's not managed their digital knowledge everywhere it lives online because that's how Google knows what to answer. And they all mm-hmm. yelp. Facebook being they all work the same way, right? They, they look for three factors when giving an answer, right? Prominence, distance, and relevance. Right. Relevance is about the search. So if I do best burger Dayton, I'm looking for a burger, right? So relevance is burger. The way that Google chooses an answer for burger is they go look at the answers that they have that's on Google. Hmm. Then they go look at Yelp. Then they look at Facebook and Yahoo and Bing and hundreds of other sites. And if that information is the same on every site, it gives Google a signal of confidence that that's the right answer. However, if Google has information about a business and it looks at Yelp and the hours are different and it goes to their listing on Yahoo and the name is misspelled and it goes over to Foursquare and the phone number is different, it does not give Google a signal of confidence that that is the right answer and it will move on to the next business whose information is the most accurate. Right? Holy moly, I had no idea. Yep. Because I'm just thinking about my web assets right now. Like the the profiles different on each social media platform. I know like, okay, I do marketing. All right. But the cobbler's kids shoes are often the ones that are broken. And mine are, they're not just broken. They're missing. Okay. (laughs) So I know that even just for my digital marketing agency, that could be definitely preventing traffic from coming. Sure. I mean, in my the example I'm giving is very location based. Like mm-hmm. you, you have a physical address or an area of service. But you know, in essentially whether you're, you know, you're writing a blog about how to, you know, grow trees in your backyard, you know, or you're a pizza shop, the rules kind of apply the same way. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. You have to make it easy for the search engines to find your answer. Mm. And they're going to look for accuracy. The The second piece of their distance is pretty easy to figure out. It's about where something is. But the last piece is where people get tripped up. And this is sort of the magic moment, especially for local businesses, is prominence. Google defines prominence as a business's public reputation. So what Google is saying there is that when you search, you know, Best Burger Dayton, they are taking the ratings and reviews of all the businesses that might rank for that answer and comparing them against each other. And the one that they're going to surface is A, has the most recent positive ratings and reviews. So let me give you an example to explain that. We're standing in the middle of the street. There's a coffee shop on the left. There's a coffee shop on the right. They have almost the same menu, almost the same hours. It's essentially the same business. If we're standing in the middle of the street and we Google best coffee shop near me, if the one on the left got a couple of four and five star reviews last week and the one on the right hasn't had them in a month, the one on the left is going to come up first in search. Wow. Right. So how does a business fix this mistake? Two things. They have to make sure that their information is accurate everywhere it lives online, not just their website, Facebook, Yahoo, Bing, Google, City Search, DexYP, Yellow Pages. And then once that's done, they have to manage their reputation. So they need to be responding to every single review they get. If it's a five star, just say thank you. If it's a one star, apologize and ask how you can make it better. Because what will happen is as your star rating goes up and the more reviews you get, the higher you're going to surface in search results. So do the responses, even to the one star reviews, like let's just say that the one coffee shop had a four and a five last week, but the other one hasn't had a response or a, a rating in a month, but just yesterday they responded. Would that bump them back up to the top just because of the response? 
That's a great question. So the response from the owner doesn't have an effect on the search result. What the response from the owner has an effect on is the ability to generate more reviews. So I don't remember the stat off the top of my head, but when the customer sees that somebody from the business is responding to reviews on whatever page it is, you know, Yelp or, or Facebook or whatever, they're more likely to leave a review. So if the owner or somebody from the business is actively managing their reputation, it's more likely that they will get more reviews because customers see that somebody cares, right? And what we see in this a, this is not just restaurants. This is all businesses. Uh, businesses that actually do respond to their ratings reviews in general will have a 0.7 star increase once they start doing it. Wow. Well, I know I'm not in food or in hospitality, but I'm just thinking about my own company. My online business manager has recently been pushing me to start a testimonial request campaign for our clients. And so often the ask is the hardest part for the business owner. You know, we know what our rates are, but actually asking for the feedback, I don't know if it's fear or just not knowing how to do it or what have you, but there are so many ways there could be incentives for actually providing that review in the honest review. I, one of my clients just launched a podcast and he actually had a, a promotion going on. If you leave your honest review, he didn't tell them five star. He said, honest and send me a screenshot. I will enter you into a $1,000 drawing. But he wow. was asking for it, right? So two, there's a couple of things here. Uh, I want to make sure that we're, cl we're clear about each of them. So number one, a testimonial in terms of the internet is very different than a review. Right? Oh, yeah, totally. But we can be asking for them to go and leave us a Google review though, right? So, okay, so that's the second part I want to clarify. So it is against the terms and conditions of almost every single third-party review site uh, for a, a location-based business, Google, Yelp, Foursquare. It is against their terms and conditions for a business to ask for reviews. In fact, really? they will, yes, they will punish and shut down a page for business that is repeatedly violating those terms and conditions. So if you're a business owner you're, and you want more reviews, you can't ask for them. It's disingenuous. right? So, so how do we let people know that they can leave it without asking for a review? I love this question. So there's a couple of things you can do. Number one, if you're a business owner and you're responding to reviews, you will automatically get more. Because like I said earlier, people will see that somebody in the business cares and they're more likely to write a review because they want the response. So by responding, you'll get more. Another thing that you can do as a small business owner to help generate more reviews is you can take, let's say that you went to that coffee shop and you left a nice five-star review and I own that coffee shop. I could take a link to your five-star review on Yelp and I could share it on my Facebook page and go, hey, thanks, Kim. We really appreciate it. I'm giving a signal to my customers that we appreciate them. That's good customer service. I'm also giving them a signal that Yelp reviews are important to me. Right. So it's not asking. It's just sort of leading the horse to water. You can absolutely do that. You can also take those and you can put them on your website. You know, you can have a link to Yelp. You can say we love Yelp. You know, you can say Google reviews are important to me. You can give signals that tell your customers that you pay attention to these things and they have value to you. You just can't say, leave me a review. And you definitely cannot incentivize them. That is like a, that is the biggest level of no-nos. Holy cow. Like you've got my mind going in so many different directions now because I don't even think, okay, can you clarify for me? 
who can be on Yelp? Because a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, coaches, you know, service-based industry, not food or hospitality. So who, and I know you're not from Yelp, you're from Yext. So I just (laughs) want to make that clear. But where should we be putting our profile up on the internet so that we can begin, you know, generating revenue and more buzz about our businesses so that we can enlist your service to make sure that we're consistent internet-wide? So the rule with Yelp, and I don't know it specifically, I'm just sort of giving you my best understanding, and then we'll cross the bridge to Yext, is it has to be a location-based or service location-based business, right? So you have to have a front door or you have to have a, a B2C interaction. So like some examples of the former would be like a nail salon or a pizza shop or, you know, coffee store, like place where people go walk through your front door to conduct business. The survey space would be like you are a roofer or you're a plumber. You go to somebody's house only in a specific area. That's kind of the rule with, with a Yelp, Google, Bing. They're not necessarily about like consultants and service managers and people who offer a, a service that doesn't necessarily have a physical product or a physical results. Hmm. That makes sense? Yeah, that's a buzzkill though. Because <laughs> I mean, people in the Dayton area, let's just pick on them for a second, could be looking for somebody who provides services in Infusionsoft. Hey, I'm targeting myself here, okay? But because I don't want people knocking at my house, you know, I'm not about to put my address up. And I'm not a plumber, clearly. So how am I supposed to gain traction as a service-based industry? And I know this is going a lot deeper than what you probably intended, but I'm just so so intrigued. No, I love questions like this, and I'm happy to answer. Uh, I would return and say, are you only interested in customers who live in Dayton? Oh, no, I do. I've never had a client in my state. So the location aspect of the conversation isn't quite so relevant mm-hmm. to a business like yours because, you know, I'm guessing you could offer a service to somebody in Madagascar as easily as you could, you know, Kentucky. Absolutely. So, so then it's more of the traditional SEO play and it's not necessarily about structured data, which is sort of what I'm talking about. Okay. Awesome. But I would have to imagine that it's still important that our profiles be consistent in industry-wide though, or isn't it? Uh, the internet in general works on a system of accuracy. So yes. Okay. And would Yext be a good product then for my style of business? At this time, not really. It's, okay. it's a direction that one day we'll probably be moving into because mm-hmm. it's really just about structured databases uh, and providing like a brain for your information. In today's model of Yext, it is about location or service-based businesses. Okay, which is still so absolutely relevant. I mean, in my town, when I've gone to the local networking groups, for me, it hasn't been lucrative or beneficial because the companies in my town, they aren't interested in email marketing. They're not so interested in, in all the services that we provide, but they could definitely benefit from who's the best car mechanic in town, you know, which salon is open on Sundays. Anything open on Sundays around here is pretty rare, (laughs) right? I mean, we just got a Chick-fil-A and I hear people grumble every Sunday. I know Uh, they're not open on Sundays. I live in a county with blue laws, so a lot of my area is close to on Sundays. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I was shocked, and I know this is deviating a little bit, but I I was born, raised in Western New York, where there are blue laws. Well, to an extent, after midnight or afternoon, like twelve o'clock on Sunday, you can buy alcohol. Here in Ohio, I was shocked to find that it's different. You can go in any time of day, any day of the week, and buy alcohol. 
Oh yeah, uh, I used to live in New York City, and we could go into the bodega at one thirty in the morning and get a sixer if we wanted. <laughs> yep, yep. Huh? I'm just so intrigued, and I have to say, and I'm going to go back to picking on Chipotle for a little bit. I worked there about a decade ago, or eight years ago. Wow. And. I was in between careers, okay? So you do what you have to do so you can do what you want to do. And at about that same time, there was a local chain that opened up, uh, had burritos. This is not a plug for them. I prefer Chipotle. (laughs) But Hothead started taking away part of the market share because they had a punch card. And they were bringing people back again and again. They weren't, you know, they were giving the punch card out to anybody who came in. They weren't bribing them to go leave a review. And I was... I asked my manager, why aren't we doing anything like that? He's like, well, we don't need to. Well, just recently, because we do order Chipotle online, they've started giving points now and they'll send promotions via text. And I think that's another area where so many companies, they just forget about it, especially restaurants. And there's a local jump house for kids around here. Anytime that there's a snow day or anytime there's a vacation day from school, they're sending out a text to anybody who's on their list saying, hey, we're open today. Here's the special rate. (laughs) And I think it's brilliant, except for on snow days, because people around here can't drive with anything more than like a quarter inch of ice. Ohio or my area of Ohio, people just can't drive in that. But it's such a brilliant idea because especially with my three, we're going crazy if we have them all at home with us. Let's take them there and wear them out. And then they'll be exhausted and ready for a nap. (laughs) We do this with my kid too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm just thinking about, you know, the local restaurant that just shut. They never asked me for my email address or text number. And maybe if they had, they would still be around. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, when you're a small business owner, it's tough to wear every hat. And so you have to decide what are the things that you can or can't do based on their ability to help your business, right? And so is collecting email addresses and phone numbers a good idea? It sure is. It definitely is. I mean, you just gave some great examples why. But if it's just not something you can fit your day, you have to find the things that will drive in new customers, you know, that you can rely on when you don't have time to do that. And that's like managing your digital knowledge, replying to reviews, stuff like that. So with that said, you said something really huge on your profile form that you submitted to be on the podcast. I don't even remember what I wrote. I'm going to tell you what you wrote because (laughs) the question was, what message would you like to share on the Positive Productivity Podcast? And your response was, my life's motto, be awesome at two things and outsource everything else. That is my life's motto. So with that said, you might not have time for it in your day. You might not have time to figure out the text system or the email marketing system. But in the long run, what is ROI going to be of hiring somebody, even if it's your your spouse's niece who is really good at marketing, you know, I'm just using a small town example to have them set it up and get it going. Yeah. I mean, I, by similar example, I teach an influencer marketing course and it's aimed at small businesses. And I tell them at the beginning and the end of the course, don't do this on your own, hire an agency, but I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. So when you do hire the agency, you can outsource it the right way and get the right results because it's like that. You should do what you're really good at and maybe learn one more skill and then be good at that. And then know just enough about the other things that you know who to have do it, whether it's an employee, a friend, a customer, you know, your team, because you're going to spread yourself too thin. You know, you're going to you're not going to be able to accomplish the things that you need to get done. Delegation is important. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, while we've been chatting, I've been getting notifications that my team is active in teamwork and we use teamwork mm, chat. I think that's what it's called. That was so not a good sell for them. Teamwork chat. Yeah. So they're asking me and they're talking to each other about what needs to get done next and who's going to take care of what. And then they want my opinion on some things. But I've taken that step and I've delegated. I mean, I they're researching hashtags. They're setting up the new Instagram feed. They're marketing the podcast. If I don't need to be doing it, then it's slowly but surely coming off my plate. That has been a struggle, folks. Huge struggle. But you can go back and listen to episode five where I talked about how I don't want you listening to this episode if you haven't slept last night. <laughs> I mean, we need to sleep. And the way that we're going to get to sleep is to start delegating. Yep. I never realized that my neighbor's yard was so big. Seriously, I thought they would have been done on their lawn by now. I can't even hear them. So Awesome. <laughs> If it wouldn't be too controversial with your position at Yext right now, because we're definitely going to position you as, you know, with your role there, I would love to know more about your influencer marketing course. Uh, it does not put me in an awkward position to talk about that. So thank you. So a little, just a little background of me that might help tie some of this entire conversation together. So I have been writing food blogs since 2003, and I have a, four Instagram accounts I run with about 300,000 total followers. Wow. So, so I kind of, on some circles, am an influencer, um, but I don't want to make that my career. And it's not like, it's a fun thing for me that I do on the side and I've learned how to help other people with. And as this world of influencer marketing is growing and it's, you know, becoming a bigger and bigger budget for every company out there, I was looking at the information that was out and seeing that there was really no like concurrent, like one, two, three, ABC, here's how to do it thing out there. Everybody had their own opinions you know, what's a macro versus a micro influencer. And it was like all over the place. So I spent about three months just consuming information, reading blogs, going to conferences, listening to podcasts, you know, downloading white papers on some thought leaders in the industry, combined it with my own experience. And I put together like a one hour course where it's like, okay, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know to get started and be successful with influencer marketing. It's not a 401 level course. It's not a mastery course. It's like, okay, here is just what's going to get you onto the speedway, right? So you know just enough to be dangerous. Oh, I love that. And just for listeners, and also because I'm curious, what is the difference between a micro influencer and a macro? <laughs> there is not a universal agreed upon definition of that. But typically, and because Instagram is the number one uh, social network where influencer marketing happens, we're going to use that as our example. But typically, somebody between 1,000 and 10,000 followers is a micro, uh, and somebody with 10,000 to 75 or 100 is a macro. Uh, and then up above that is just a whole other level. Oh, I love that. I have to share that I just last week got another influencer gig. I don't know if that would be the right word to use. I'm on a number of influencer networks and there was somebody who was who was actually looking for somebody to help them promote their mineral cosmetics line and one of the products that they wanted to promote was a concealer. So I submitted a proposal and I said, "Look, I've got five kids, two businesses, and a podcast. If anybody can show how your how your concealer works, it's me. So I will show you a before and an after." And they laughed in their response and said, you're hired. So I'm getting a free tube of or free canister. I'm, I was actually hoping it would come in the mail today because I started traveling for a week tomorrow. 
But all I have to do is show the before and after. And listeners, you know I'm very authentic. I don't have a problem showing that this is before the makeup and this is after. Now, if I could just get somebody to, to, you know, send me a product to get rid of silver hairs for a little bit, that would be awesome too. (laughs) I'm sure they're out there. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And they might even be listening. So just putting it out there. We could also use a bigger vehicle for all of our children. Yes. Uh, One that's not from the 1990s. So, you know, Nissan will be your influencer to promote your 12-seater. (laughs) I just had to put it out there. Hey, we can manifest anything we want to. We just have to be vocal and get it out there. Yeah, no, I think you bring up a good point. There are kind of two versions of influencer marketing, right? One is this, you know, this sort of uh, traditional is kind of a weird word since it's such a new term. But like, hey, I have a ton of followers on Instagram or YouTube or Twitter or my blog or whatever. And if I write about that, they'll love your product, right? That's sort of how we think about it. But you know, Kim, if you have an audience of, you know, 50 people that like just listen to Kim and believe in Kim, you're an influencer too, right? And and if my wife has a group of 10 people that if she says, hey, you should go and make sure you vote yes on this proposal tomorrow, she's an influencer, right? Everybody has some level of influence, right? It's just in terms of, and this is part of what's in my course, is understanding what's your goal for working with influencers, because then you'll know how to reach the right people. It's not about how many followers they have. It's about the connection they have to their followers and what actions they'll take if the person suggests something. My my friend Matt uh, owns a couple of really nice Thai restaurants that tie part of our conversation earlier in in New York City. Seriously not helping me anymore. (laughs) I know. Uh, And if you ask him who's his favorite influencer that he works with, he will tell you that the lady that runs the Kiehl's store up the block because people come in to go buy their Kiehl's products and she says, hey, do you like Thai food? This place around the corner from us is amazing. So to him, she's an influencer just as much as, you know, the the guy that has 100,000 followers on Instagram and takes pictures there all the time, you know? Absolutely. So I would love your opinion on a different topic around the topic of influencing. Listeners, I don't know if it's this episode, but it will be happening in future episodes. I just got back from a conference and we were talking about monetizing our podcasts. Listeners, again, you know, I'm very transparent. And I don't really want to go out and solicit sponsorships. It's just, it doesn't feel good to me. So I was thinking about sharing like a a mid-roll quote ad, for lack of a better word, Letting people, letting the listeners know what tools we use in our business. Would you consider that a way of influencer marketing? Absolutely. And it's it's probably the best kind because it's genuine. You know, if I post on my Instagram profile that I love Potbelly, it's because I actually go there and eat their sandwiches, right? But if I was to put up there like, oh my God, you need to go try Long John Silver's. Well, I don't like seafood and my followers know that. So there is no reason for them to believe that I say, go eat along John Silver's mean it. Now, if these are products and services that you use and help you to be successful in your business, then that's a real endorsement. That's real influence. Yeah. I'm not about to start, you know, sharing sock ads just because they feel good on the feet when I can't stand wearing socks. <laughs> I or, do not have any, I do not have any socks on right now. I want you to know that. Yeah. No, it takes like sub-zero temperatures for me to put socks on because I I actually get angry when I eat hot feet. And side topic, this goes back to food. I don't react well with gluten. And when I eat gluten, I get hot feet. Oh, it's just so irritating. If you want to be super tangential, I have not worn socks since September 4th. Really? And how do you know that date? (laughs) Uh, I was in an accident on September 4th where I broke my left ankle and both of my wrists. Oh my gosh. 
and I've been living in a rehabilitation center healing since then. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I know I'm not wearing socks because I put them on since the day I broke my ankle. Wow. Listeners, I just need to put this out there. We scheduled this episode a couple months ago. We did. But in the spirit of positive productivity, look at you go. Because, (laughs) you know, you're just staying in it, going with it. I heard like, I've heard a little bit of beeping in the background, but I just figured it was the atmosphere of Yext. (laughs) Nope, that is the rehab facility. (laughs) Wow. Okay, listeners, whatever you're going through today, just listen to Rev. I mean, he's still pushing forward. He's getting, you know, he's getting his brand out there. He's getting Yext out there. We could have woken up two hours late this morning, but there's no reason to not be pursuing our goals and, and just keep on charging forward. Amen. There's only one way forward. Amen. So where have you found to deliver to, (laughs) to to the rehab facility? Now I'm curious. I'm sure the food there's not wonderful. We're not going to name names here. It is not. Um, I've actually been sort of goofingly taking very Instagram-y like photos of the hospital food and sharing it on my Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Do they allow you to get delivery? Uh, Yeah, totally. Oh, good. Uh, A couple local restaurants have taken pity on me and and brought me food, uh, but also... The portions here are very small, and I'm 285 pounds, six foot three. I eat a little more than they allot. Yes. <laughs> so I'll typically order delivery every other day. Good for you. <laughs> and I mean, that could have come out wrong, but I, I mean, I was in the hospital in February. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't taking care of myself. They were watching my heart, and I remember the small portions. I was like, are you serious? I'm still hungry. I need food. And yep. it's like they took it out of sodium, and it was basically bland is you know what and i was like oh i did not post that to my instagram (laughs) yeah well rev this has been an amazing conversation i would love for you to share all the details with us on how we can find you online where we can find yes where we can find you for your instagram and your food blog and also where we can find your influencer course Thank you. Well, Kim, I appreciate you uh, letting me be on today and talk about all this stuff. I, my number one goal in life is to help other people with their business. So, mm. so it's a pleasure to be able to talk about it. Um, best place to find me is my screen name on social media is the same on every platform. It's Reb Ciancio. And you're like, I don't know how to spell that and I'm not going to remember. So uh, your next best bet is to Google expert burger taster. Uh, and I will be uh, about the top seven results. So Expert uh, burger taster. That's amazing. (laughs) But listeners, if you are trying not to burn dinner yourself, if you are exercising, if you're driving and you can't write it down, you can go to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP514 and we'll do you the favor of putting in all the links there too. And there's that, which makes it even easier. Yeah. Uh, Or I tell people all the time, listen, I answer almost all my emails. You can email me. I'm rev at yex.com. It's R-E-V at Y-E-X-T.com. If you have questions, you want to know anything, I can answer questions for you. Just drop me an email. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. You just got my mind blown that you're in a rehab facility right now. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh. And you have a two and a half year old. Like, oh, wow. I'm not normally speechless. Listeners, you know, I'm not normally speechless. Now, my wife is a saint because she's had to basically play the role of single mom since I ended up here. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much again for all your valuable insight and for just this, so much of a fun conversation. That was not very eloquent, but I know what I'm trying to say. So just bear with me. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners? Oh, man. Put me on the spot. I thought mm-hmm. I dropped all my knowledge bombs already. 
we said it earlier, I'll say it again. You know, be awesome at two things and outsource everything else. Figure out what you're really, really good at. Figure out what you're also really good at. Combine them and then let everybody else help you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.